0: Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs' Programme, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every Saturday with the latest news on public education and also its nemesis, private education. Um, and we've got some very a very interesting uh, number of articles for you today. We have a press release 874, and in this press release we will be delving into of all things planning law. Because there's been recent law in Victoria which means that residents cannot complain about either the establishment or the expansion of any private school. Think about it. Just think about it. So, uh, we'll go straight into that and as well as, um, as well as our personal release which you can also find on our website at www.a.info. We'll go to Sydney, where the residents do kick up a stink. And can kick up a stink. And we've got councillors who allow them, to, who, who support them. Um, about a fifty-four million dollar sporting complex that's going to be built for Sydney Grammar. Fifty-four million. And um, then I'd like to go back to a very interesting article uh, written by Andrew Lay on uh, Inside Story about the remarkable persistence of power and privilege in Europe, the United States and Australia and the kind of research that people are doing to really prove that we have a fairly solidly class-structured society. And then we'll finish up with a very interesting article by Trevor Cobold from Save Our Schools Public schools are as good as private schools and they have been proved to be so. So uh, that is the program for today. First of all, let's get down to the planning law and what has happened in the last few weeks in this state of ours. Press release 874. Private school expansion. Local residents left in the limbo. Victorian residents have no standing in VCAT to complain about new private schools or expansion of such schools under an amendment to the Victorian planning legislation. Clause 53.19- non-government schools was introduced on the 4th of December 2020 by VC 180, that is the number of the legislation in the Victorian Parliament and it's passed and helps to streamline the process for development of new and the upgrade and expansion of existing non-government primary and secondary schools. Think about it. The residents out in Scotch College were very unhappy when they started buying up huge blocks whole blocks of uh, residences and they kicked up a stink, uh, as they should, but um, this is now going to apply all over Victoria. Private schools can do what they like and forget about the local residents. The amendment introduces permanent provisions into all planning schemes all round Victoria which will strengthen the policy support for the establishment and expand, expansion of non-government schools and, importantly, adopt a fast-tracked planning permit process. The key elements of the proposed planning provisions are dot, applying a fast-track process to all non-government primary and secondary school applications, dot, appointing the Minister for Planning as the responsible authority for new school applications, and projects on existing schools with an estimated cost of $3 million or more. I don't know what happens to proposals that are under $3 million, but I don't think they're affected either. It introduces new State Policy Clause 19.02-2S education facilities to support non-government school applications. And it... uh, As per Clause 5319-2, an application to which Clause 5319 applies is exempt from the decision requirements of section 64.1, 2 and 3 and the review rights of Section 82.1 of the Act. So it's almost an open slather. They can do what they like and forget about the local residents. Think about it. Now, on the basis of the proposed works for the expansion of an existing non government school and the cost of works exceeds three million, a proposal before the Melbourne City Council has fallen under the Clause 5319 provision and it's to be lodged with the DELWP for a decision by the Minister for Planning. There's no opportunity for the planning application to be appealed to be by a third party. And what is this application? It is the Simmons College expansion, which is up in West Melbourne, next to the old Pro Cathedral and also the old rectory of Daniel Mannix. Simmons College in West Melbourne has been very quick off the mark. To make use of this provision. The school is on a very limited block of land and it's looking to more than double its enrolment with a major, major development. It looks to me, looking at the plans, that they're going to demolish large buildings that they've already got there and build larger and uh, much, more, much uh, higher buildings which will be very bulky and will overlook the surrounding residences. The school is situated near the very Star of the Sea Pro Cathedral, as I've said, and the rectory that was once occupied by Archbishop Daniel Manners. And more recently, it's been occupied by priests from the Upper Group. The following notice was provided to the North and West Melbourne Association. This is how we know that. And I'd like to thank the North and West Melbourne Association that sent us this material. Now, what is this Simmons College? It's been around for a long time. There used to be a primary school there, and it was moved. It was closed down and moved um, some time ago. And um, initially, the secondary school only went up to year 10. And the boys then went on to uh, an, a larger school in Queensbury Street, but the Queensbury Street school has been closed down too. So it's become a um, a full secondary school. The school itself uh, used to be disadvantaged, but it couldn't be called disadvantaged now because it has an ICSI value of 1,015, and um, a thousand, of course, is you know just a normal middle class school. In fact, 19% of the students come from the wealthiest, upper 25% of the community. And more than 50% come from uh, the more middle-ranking groups of the community. But uh, it does have 62% of children whose parents speak um, another language at home. Its total income in 2019 Was 7.9, well nearly 8 million. Their total assets are not listed. But money available for capital expenditure is listed as merely 789,224. And this is going to be an absolutely massive development. So where's the millions and millions and millions, I think it's hundreds of millions perhaps, going to come from to build this new school because it's virtually a new school? The revenue from government, excluding capital gains, because that's not on the school website, is 6.674 million. This means that we, taxpayers, pay 83.6% of the running costs of this school. One interesting point should be made. The enrolment for 2019, they claim, was 426, but the planning application of December 2020 mentions only 309 students currently enrolled with a plan for 668 students in the future. This means that Simmons, if their figure of 426 was correct for 2019, lost 117 students in 2020. So their enrolments are going down. But they hope to gain another 359 with this massive demolition and new, quite massive infrastructure that they're going to build. So I really wonder what is going on up there next to the pro-cathedral. And the vital question, of course, is who's going to be paying for this? Local citizens who have no say, They have no say at all. Premier Andrews, the Minister for Education, James Molina, both of whom um, belong to the Catholic faith, and the Planning Minister, Richard Wynne, should perhaps be asked a few hard questions. But I'm sure a lot of you, particularly those who are listening from north and west Melbourne, and also around Victoria, would like to know a little bit more about the the nuts and bolts of this actual application. So I'd like Oliver, after the break, to tell you exactly what it is that they're proposing to do up there uh, in, in a position which is very, very close to the CBD, really, uh, but they are surrounded by residents who have no say as to what they're going to do. Because if there's 668 students on this really quite small block of land for a school, there are going to be massive parking problems. And already in this area, there are big, big parking problems in all the surrounding streets. But we'll have a bit of a break, and we'll hear a little bit more from Oliver about this planning application. Well, before the break, uh, we were talking about how new non government schools and also expansion of non government schools, private schools, um, have opened slather now in uh, planning, the planning area. They can do as they please, and local residents who are affected by their planning applications have absolutely no rights at all. Uh, the decision on whether their proposals go ahead will be with the planning minister, Richard Wynne, only. Now, Oliver will tell us more about the nuts and bolts of this particular proposal uh, up at the uh, Simmons College.
1: Thank you, Jane. 309 students and 42 staff, now with a peak future number of 668, plus additional 27 staff will be present at the school at any one time, bringing total staff at any time to 69. Basement car park for staff, which will provide 22 standard spaces and one DDA space. This car park will form part of the new building too and will be accessed via a new crossover on Jetland Street.
0: Uh, if I could just interrupt here, there's going to be 69 staff uh, and there will be other staff as well, I would imagine, are coming in and out, um, they are going to have only 22 parking spaces, so that means that more than 40 uh, new cars are going to be in the surrounding streets.
1: Back to you, Oliver. But only six additional spaces for the increasing staff, but 32 additional spaces are needed to meet the assessed need, so they need a permit for this reduction. Existing formal uh, slash informal parking in the northern part of the site to the east of Building A will be removed. The proposed new buildings will have a building height of 14 metres, including roof terraces, but excluding some architectural features. The height of these buildings approximately matches the height of the presbytery. Building form form will be set back along the subject site's sensitive southern and southwestern interface with 62 to 66 Chapman Street, and a 225 meter and 343 meter wide easement for footway purposes. That is located at the side of 66 Chetland and the rear of 64 and 66 Chetland Street and benefits CT volume. This maintains the size and nature of the existing setback between building C and D. There is separation maintained between proposed building 2 and existing building 1 in order to facilitate Uh, through views of the St. Mary Church building from Chetland Street. The morning drop-off zone will continue to exist at the site's western and northwestern boundary on Chetland and Victoria Streets, respectively. Bicycle access to the basement car park will be gained via a separate door adjacent to the crossover on Chetland Street. Existing fences spanning the site's northwestern and southeastern boundaries will also be refurbished. The new-slash-reinstated fence extends around the subject site's western and southern boundary as well as a small portion of its northern boundary and separates the school grounds from the saint mary star of the sea (coughs) catholic church and the presbytery black steel palisade fencing is to be utilized with a height not exceeding 1.5 meters where located on property boundaries the creation of new extensive on-site student recreational space a total of Uh, 1,501.75 square metres will be added, that includes ground level outdoor recreation, gymnasium and rooftop terraces. Altogether, 95 bicycle parking spaces will be provided on site. There are also low bluestone stairs located to the north of building A that will be disassembled and rebuilt together, with a disability complaint access to this building. Also, an existing veranda between building A and B is to be dissembled and rebuilt. In both cases, all fabric will be retained and rebuilt with heritage guidance. 369 to 368 William, the old service station, will be used for temporary classrooms and parking during construction.
0: This is really... uh, I, I don't know where they're going to fit all the boys. They won't all the boys that attend this school now, even, at the 300 and odd. Um, I, I, they, they won't be able to fit into um, what is really quite a small building, uh, which used to be an old service station. Uh, I, I really can't can't see what's going on here. It's very interesting, but then the car parking is what's really going to be a problem for large numbers of people in this uh, west and north uh, Melbourne streets. There's a number of streets that will be involved. But back to all of that about the car parking.
1: Uh, So, clause 52.06, car parking. A traffic and transport assessment has been prepared in support of the application by ratio in December 2020. This demonstrates that the proposal fully complies with the planning scheme and Australian standards for the provision of access and car parking spaces.
0: Well, that's very interesting, because if it was done in December 2020, large numbers of people who often park there uh, won't be there uh, it could be very very quiet and the other and it has been quiet and uh, the other side of that of course is that it depends on the time of day that they do it uh, if they come at 6:30 in the morning soon after summer uh, that's always very interesting these car parking applications are always very interesting Uh, and the residents could pick this up if they were allowed to go to DCAT, but of course they're not.
1: As discussed previously, it is proposed to provide six additional spaces and retain the 17 existing car spaces to cater for the 69 staff that will be present at any one time once the school is fully operational. Given the assessment by ratio, calculates that 32 additional spaces are required to be provided by the proposal and that just six additional spaces will be provided. A permit is needed for this reduction of 26 spaces pursuant to Clause 52.06-3.
0: Well, that shouldn't be any trouble because they've already got open slather for their buildings, so they expect to be exempted from what is currently required for parking spaces. It's pretty cavalier, isn't it? Okay, back again to you. Um.
1: It is also noted that 320 on-street car car parking spaces are located within 200 metres of the site. There were never fewer than 37 publicly available spaces across the survey period undertaken by Ratio. Therefore, it is considered that ample spaces are located in close proximity to augment the on-site provision and can cater for drop-off and visitor parking.
0: Well, I think they should ask the local residents who've got cars about that. And this means that in the future for private schools in Victoria, neither money nor local residents are of any concern. We don't know how much this uh, massive restructure of this school is going to cost, but looking at the uh, demolition and rebuilding of huge buildings. It could only be in the region of hundreds of millions and there is no evidence that these hundreds of millions are owned at the moment by this school. So where is it going to come from? Um, So, but this particular school, it's a Catholic school and the church therefore takes precedence over local citizens at all times. There's no costing of the demolition. Uh, so far. It's all been very quiet, however, on the local resident front because nobody knows about it. It's just been pushed through the council. As yet, the local residents are not even aware of the enormous pressures that will be placed upon their parking and other local facilities. For this school has very, very limited space for sporting or parking facilities. And uh, if the Honeyberry College down the road, opposite the Flagstaff Gardens is anything to go by, the Flagstaff Gardens are going to become the uh, sporting facilities of these two schools because um, uh, they they think that the public space belongs to them but they have no real obligation uh, to the public places that they are coming into. Well, it's pretty quiet on the Victorian front with these extraordinary things. But things are happening in Sydney. I have to say that the Sydney residents, particularly in the inner city, round about the grammar school, the Sydney grammar school, are up in arms. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back with that story about what's happening in Sydney with the Sydney grammar school case.
2: Do you need to renew your subscription, make
0: a
1: donation or pass on some information to a programmer?
0: We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419
1: 8377. Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member.
2: That's 03 9419 8377.
0: 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. Well, uh, we're back to Sydney. We're going back to Sydney and the Sydney Grammar School and planning issues there. There's been a local uproar over their new 54 million sports facility. The Grammar School, like the Simmons College, is um, very close to the CBD. In 2019, its gross income was 786 dollars its total assets, and here we do know what the assets of Sydney Grammar are. Where we don't know what the assets of Simmons College are. Its assets are 152306702 dollars. Think of it. The revenue from the government is seven million and thirty nine thousand three hundred sixty nine dollars. So Actually, the grammar school doesn't have that big a percentage of uh, government funding, but it's still pretty substantial as Simmons College, which is nearly 84% um, uh, publicly funded. The Sydney Morning Herald um, has picked it up and it's attracted many hostile comments with an article we'll hear in a moment. And the President of the New South Wales Teachers' Federation, Angelo Gavriolotis, also attracted a very wide following, almost as wide as Mr Trump, I think, on Twitter when he um, started commenting about it. But the following are the excerpts from the Sydney Morning Herald article by Andrew Taylor uh, on the 2nd of January 2021, and Oliver's going to read it for you so that we can uh, see what's happening in Sydney
1: Uh, Thank you, Jean.
0: Woolara
1: Councillor Harriet Price said residents adjacent to the school's proposed Weigel Sports Complex in Rushcutters Bay would be severely impacted by the proposal, which she called an intrusive and bulky development. The New South Wales Department of Planning, Industry and Environment also suggested the school explore opportunities to reduce the height of of the development. A Sydney Grammar spokeswoman said the 54.4 million project was designed to consolidate the school's sporting facilities, which are currently spread across Sydney, to improve child protection, supervision and transport. There was a lack of safe and suitable facilities in the inner city area for school-aged children to train and compete. And in increasingly popular sports, such as basketball and water polo, she said, The project includes demolition of a small pavilion and tennis courts at the southern end of the site, and construction of a new three- to four-storey building housing a 25-metre swimming pool, multi-purpose hole, and spaces for cardio and weights training, taekwondo and fencing. A state-significant development, the school described the new sporting facilities as a polite addition to the site and its context.
0: (laughs) That's a funny expression, a polite Addition to the site and its context. It's a heritage
1: site.
0: We must remember that one.
1: (laughs) And that was written in documents lodged with the planning department. Sydney Grammar's spokeswoman said the bulk and scale of the sporting complex was consistent with surrounding buildings, while two new trees will be planted for every tree removed. A new 102-space car park would alleviate congestion on local streets by accommodating traffic queues during the morning and afternoon pick-up and drop-off periods, as well as catering for increased traffic on Saturdays, generated by new sports facilities. But C.R. Price said the proposal would have a devastating and severe impact on views enjoyed by neighbouring residents, including public housing tenants. Previously uninterrupted views to green open space, trees, and an attractive outlook to Rushcutters Bay and beyond will now be dominated by an intrusive and bulky development, she said. The school spokeswoman said significant changes have been made to the proposal following consultation with nearby residents, including reducing the overall size of the building and planting more trees to improve visual impact as well as preserve solar access and privacy of neighbours.
0: Well, at least they did a bit of discussion with the, the local residents. Simmons College has ignored the, the local residents. We've only just found out about it and it's been passed. Yes, but back to you, Oliver.
1: Alex Greenwich, the independent member for Sydney, said the proposed development was inappropriately located directly adjacent to homes and created unacceptable impacts on residents. The school has not adequately demonstrated why alternative and less imposing locations were not selected and more work is needed to protect neighbours' quality of life, he said. Mr Greenwich said residents were concerned the new building would lead to a massive loss of light and brightness inside their homes making them darker and more prone to damp. His concerns were echoed by the Paddington Society, which said in its submission, the height and bulk of the project was excessive and would have a significant impact on the amenity of nearby residents. This proposal provides little public benefit while having a significant number of detrimental effects on the neighbouring area in terms of the loss of views and outlook, overshadowing, increasing traffic movements, greatly increased car parking and loss of amenity, said. Mr Greenwich also questioned the social benefits of the new sports complex given it was unclear if other schools and the public would be permitted to use the facilities. However, the school spokeswoman said Sydney Grammar was keen to explore options for local schools such as Glenmore Road Public School to use the new facilities given the lack of swimming pools and basketball and volleyball courts in the local area.
0: Oh, did you hear that? The Sydney Grammar School. Uh, which actually was was built initially on a public grant, a crown grant, and um, uh, with public money back in the day, um, it's prepared to actually uh, share some of its goodies with the local poor little public school children. Children. Very interesting. That's what the salmon and Simmons
2: is prepared to do. Handing down favours from the mountaintop. Something like that, yes.
1: The school spokeswoman said Sydney Grammar is keen to speak to other community groups who might be interested in using the facility to better understand how this can be facilitated. How interesting.
0: But I'm sure they will have to pay. I know that down in Hobart, the collegiate school sometimes allows local people into their beautiful, beautiful swimming pool. Uh, but you usually have to know somebody. You have to have a parent who takes you in and there is usually um, financial uh, matters that have to be discussed. Okay, well, that's enough for the planning. We're going to have a break, and Dale's going to come back with some of the comments on the um, the Sydney development, the grammar school development, where it's, um, yeah, that's had quite an earring. Thanks, in part, to Angelo Gabrielis of the New South Wales Teachers Federation. <laughs>
3: You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion, and it began
2: 250 years ago this year. Now, we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda, and race hatred indoctrination. Now, it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is, and we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid-this year.
0: 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Well, before the break, we've been discussing um, the open slather in Victoria concerning the uh, establishment and uh, the expansion of private schools and one particular case up in the West Melbourne, North Melbourne area. And we've also gone to Sydney and seen how different it is up there, where the local residents have been consulted and they have reacted. And now Dale has got some very interesting comments that were made to the Sydney Morning Herald by people about the $54 million um, that's going to be spent on a sporting facility
2: for the grammar school. Over to you, Darlene. Thank you, Jean. Yes, Saline 71 says, if they can afford to spend $54 million on this, then they can forego government subsidies. More money needs to be spent on government schools not this monstrosity and then Lark says as a long-time teacher in public schools this just makes me feel nauseous the gap in education between those who have money influence and connections and the rest of us is just appalling Bruce says it won't make them any smarter but it will increase their sense of entitlement this school receives over $70 million in fees and charges per annum. Luckily, the state and federal government only contribute $7 million per annum, significantly less on a per-student basis than many public schools. Prefabs are wonderful if it means people who have no need of money can have more. I'm not poor, just disgusted by massive inequality being sponsored by for the for private sector enterprise. Uh, and Jarrow says, $54 million? Privilege and wealth mean nothing if we cannot flaunt them. Then Chris says, $54 million development for a school, how much of this is government funding? No more private schools, just no need, absolutely no need. Conservative with the brain says, Australia is one of the very few Western countries where elite Private schools are heavily subsidised from the taxpayer's purse. It's time they stood on their own two feet. These subsidies need to stop. The private school lobbying machine will be out claiming how many disadvantaged kids are helped by them. Garbage. Wouldn't it be better if the entire public education system received these funds so that the entire community received a great education? A great education is the right of every Australian child, regardless of the wealth of their parents. A poor kid born to a single mum in the middle of nowhere deserves the same quality of education as one born with a solid silver spoon in its mouth. End this rotten and unfair system. If the rich and religious want to send their kids to schools outside the public system, then let them, but they should pay for them, pay for it, themselves. Dystopia says Baronial libraries, sports complexes, and handsome government taxpayer funding? What's wrong with this picture? Dinky Die says and they said that throwing money at education wouldn't help. Emma says what a monstrosity. Why does any school need room for weights training or fencing? Ooh. The Doc said, uh, using the expression from yesterday's brilliant article by Malcolm Knox, we have further evidence of being born aloud. Don't listen to those who tell us we're all in this together or we are one and free. Money, power and influence have driven Sydney since 1788 and continue to do so. And Wondering says, Based on experience, I would not be surprised if the development is approved. It happens all the time with planning panels and their independent experts have little regard for community concerns. Mm. Then uh, some of the reactions to Angelo uh sharing of this uh, obscene says, let them eat cake. Quote, the school spokeswoman said Sydney Grammar was keen to explore options for local schools such as Glenmore Road Public School to use the new facilities. Net recurrent income per student at Glenmore Road is $11,380. For Sydney Grammar, $42,827.
0: So that means that a child at Glenmore, as far as the government is concerned, is worth a bit over eleven thousand each, and Sydney Grammar uh, is worth forty-two thousand. Yeah. yeah, that's the difference.
2: Yeah. Then the the Juice Media says, "But hey, two new trees will be planted for every tree removed." Hmm. As they say, cool and normal. Noisy Nana says. Uh, This level of inequality must become an election issue, both state and federally. Otherwise, it can be assumed that neither neither main party cares about the discrimination so blatantly involved. Then Jeff says... The outrage continues, government supporting the business that is private education at the expense of public education. These businesses and their clients are leaners and should operate without relying on taxpayers to satisfy their greed and survival.
0: Ah, oh, there you are, they're the leaners. I think that was Mr Hockey who invented that idea, didn't he, Yeah. Well, I think it's all very, all very, uh, very interesting. We'll have a bit of a break and then I'd just like to refer to a very interesting article, um, written by Andrew Lay, uh, a Labor Party politician when he was in academic life. <laughs>
2: their pay,
0: their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government.
1: I'm the proud of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world.
0: It's if not good enough that kids with disability miss
3: out. Our education is not for profit.
2: You're listening to The Dogs, the Defence of Government Schools on
3: 3CR. Yes, well, uh, there was one
0: very interesting. uh, response to the Sydney Morning Herald article on Grammar School's $54 million sports complex. Uh, And that's talked about the power and privilege of uh, people in Sydney since 1788. And Andrew Lay, uh, back in the day, wrote a very interesting article on Inside Story entitled The Remarkable Persistence of Power and Privilege. And he says that if you want to know who made up Australia's elite in the 19th century, a useful place to look is at in the Australian Dictionary of Biography. In its many volumes, you'll find the business leaders, scientists, media barons and politicians who featured among the upper echelons of Australian society. Now suppose we take the first cohort of significant Australians, those who died before 1880, and identify those with unusual surnames. He's interested in surnames and what's happened to the surnames, like Edden or McCormackie. People with those names were overrepresented among the elite in the 19th century. But are they still at the top of society or have they mixed through? Has there been real social nobility? And the finding is that, in fact, um, there hasn't been the sort of social nobility in Australia that one would have expected. Children of doctors, um, in a mobile society for example, if Australia was a mobile society, privilege would dissipate quickly and children of doctors could become labourers and children of cleaners could become lawyers. Class jumping in a socially mobile uh, society is the norm. Conversely, in an immobile society, we'd expect to see privilege perpetuated across generations. And if wealth can easily be passed down to one's children, if education is costly and if jobs are based on old-school ties rather than ability, then the same surnames will stop will stay at the top across generations. And for Australia it turns out that if we look at the register of modern day medical practitioners we find the privileged names of the 19th century overrepresented by a fact of nearly um, Three, in other words, if your ancestor was at the top of Australian society six generations ago, you're three times more likely than the average Australian to be a doctor today. And in a book, a very interesting book, The Sun Also Rises, Surnames in the History of Social Mobility, the economist Gregory Clark has used rare surnames to learn more about the extent to which societies are fluid or static. Uh, he's looked at Samuel Pets, for example. And the British society is very, very, uh, short on social mobility. But Australia isn't that good either. And the United States is not that good either. And not even in Sweden has there been all that much social mobility. And Gregory Clark's analysis of intergenerational mobility signals is a marked shift in the way economists are actually thinking about social mobility. So I thought you'd be interested in that because we've been talking about the Sydney Grammar School and the Simmons College. And in fact, um, education has been used since the very beginning in Australia with the King's School and the Grammar School in Sydney and with um, St Kevins and um, with Xavier and with Scotch College here in Melbourne uh, to make sure that the levels of social mobility are in fact not as great as one would expect them to be in a democratic society. But um, I think that we'll have to give a miss today, our time is starting to run out, on the technology issue. But um, I'd like to now pass over to Dale who is going to tell us how all of this money and privilege that these private schools are offering parents is in fact a pretty big con because when the chips are down, public schools and the teachers in them and the education our children are receiving from those teachers are just as good as any private school.
2: So over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got an article by Trevor Kobold here. Public schools are as good as private schools. The widespread perception that private schools deliver better results than public schools has taken another blow. A new study of NAPLAN results show that public schools do as well as private schools after differences in socioeconomic background of students are considered. This is despite the large resource advantage of private schools. The study found that after taking account of the different socioeconomic backgrounds of students in school sectors, private schools are not associated with higher average student achievements in standardised literacy and numeracy tests at any grade. Nor do private schools provide greater progress in reading and numeracy from grade three through grade nine. The study concludes the results support and extend on previous studies using large-scale samples and similar methodology which indicate that school sector differences are largely explained by differences in the background characteristics of students. It says that the results raise serious questions about the worth of a private school education, especially one heavily subsidised by the taxpayer. These results lend additional support to the argument that the high investment in private schooling in Australia does not necessarily lead to better achievement outcomes for students attending those schools. Moreover in terms of equity our results support analysis from the OECD in indicating that that a large independent school sector underpinned by market values of competition and choice and supported by high levels of government funding are not optimal features of an equitable educational system. The study examines whether differences in literacy and numeracy achievement were related to attendance at public or private schools in a sample of 2,762 Australian students in grades 3, 5, 7 and 9 who completed NAPLAN between 2008 and 2018. It examined whether school sector differences were evident in NAPLAN achievements both at points of time and whether there were differences over time in the progression of students from grade 3 to grade 9. It found that private school students marginally outperformed their public school counterparts in grade 7 and 9 in the raw scores, but the small difference disappeared completely after socioeconomic status and prior achievement were included as covariates. No advantage of attendance at private schools was evident in grades three and five. The longitudinal analysis compared growth trajectories of NAPLAN results for different groups of students, those remaining in the public sector, from grades three through nine, compared with those who remain in the private sector across this period, or shift to the private sector as they commence secondary school. Despite the differences in student background, the study found that students in both both school sectors had similar growth trajectories in reading and numeracy from grade three through nine. As the study noted, this provides evidence that private schools do not add value relative to public schools. The higher achievement of students in private schools in raw scores is dependent on the characteristics of the students who select into into the schools, rather than any advantageous feature of the school sector learning environment. The study further notes, that the results highlight old questions about the utility of persistently high levels of taxpayer funding of private schools in Australia. If private schools do not value add in terms of improving achievement in basic skills testing and tend to increase segregation based on student background and family socioeconomic status, some serious policy questions need to be asked about school funding structures. Apart from these findings, the study also concluded that prior achievement is by far the largest predictor of student results in public and private schools, even more than socioeconomic background. Inclusion of prior achievement in NAPLAN is intended as a measure of student ability. However, as a result, as a recent study has shown, this approach to analysing student at school results is fundamentally flawed prior achievements of students is also affected by student and school background characteristics and other factors such as school resources, parental involvement, and teaching practices. Inclusion of prior achievement as a variable dilutes or removes the effects of such factors. This is demonstrated clearly by comparing the results of two analyses conducted by the new study. The analysis discussed above shows a significant effect of student background on NAPLAN results. However, when prior achievement is included in the analysis, the influence of student background is much reduced. Apart from this problem, the study adds weight to the large volume of evidence from overseas and Australian studies, demonstrating that public schools do as well as or better than private schools. For example, the OECD report on the 2018 PISA tests found that student achievement in public schools in OECD countries was higher than in private schools. The Australian PISA 2018 report found no difference in student results in reading and science between public, Catholic and independent schools after taking account of differences in student and school socioeconomic background public school students achieved higher results in mathematics than Catholic school students. Thus, public schools in Australia do as well as private schools, despite having far fewer human and material resources than private schools, and being disadvantaged by government funding policies that have heavily favoured private schools. It all suggests that private schools are less efficient than public schools, in using their resources.
0: Yes, and it's always been the case because they're actually not about efficiency. They're about something else. They're about um, passing privilege down from generation to generation. But I uh, thank you, Dale, for all of that. And um, there are those of us who really aren't into all the status thing and uh, we realise that uh, Making sure that uh, our children are well cared for later in life somehow sometimes is better than wasting a lot of money on a private education. So uh, that's enough for us for now. Um, We we hope that you will keep listening to 3CR and you'll be back with us. And uh, if you're interested in our website, please go to www.adogs.info. Bye for now.
3: Standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I'm dead Says Joe, but i dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there.